So hello and welcome to another one of these lockdown Generation Gap podcasts. I'm Clive Glover and each time on these programmes I'm talking to somebody of a different generation to myself and comparing and contrasting our views. So today I've got a special guest who is definitely a generation different from me because she's a millennial and I'm a baby boomer, but she's also my daughter, Sarah. So hello, Sarah. Hello. Now, we're going to talk today about something scientific because you basically are learning to be a scientist. Um, Tell me where you're you're doing that. Uh, I'm doing a biochemistry degree at Sheffield Hallam Uni. And I hope to say I am a scientist now, not learning to be. Right. You're yeah. always learning. <laughs> yes, but obviously you're not at university now because you came home just before lockdown. And so we've been uh, sharing this house together for, oh dear, eight weeks now. Nine? No, not- I've lost count. Nine weeks. Okay. <laughs> I came home a bit early. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so what we're going to talk about today is something very scientific, or at least I think it is. And this is about the word testing. Now, we've all been listening to all these newscasts where they keep talking about how they're going to be testing people for obviously coronavirus. Um, But I don't know if people really understand what testing means because it's actually used for several different things. And initially, I mean, in the very early days, for example, Um, A number of airports around the world in places like Australia said they were testing people arriving in the country. What they were actually doing was pointing an infrared thermometer at them to see if they had uh, an above average uh, body temperature. Now, the average body temperature, I think, for most people is about 36 degrees. 37 is the official one, although... 35 to 38 is generally acceptable kind of thing. Yeah, but if you have a higher temperature than 37.6, I think they say, then it means you've probably got a fever, and fever is one of the um, signs you might have coronavirus, but equally it's also the sign you've got a fever, which may be from something else. Or that it's a hot day at the moment. (laughs) Or that it's a hot day. But anyway, it's, it's a rough and ready kind of thing, which isn't really a test. But I have heard that sort of described as testing i know that the employees at some big companies are just being sort of having one of these things pointed at them as they walk through the door and that's called a test but i don't think it's really very helpful well i've seen more images of sort of that at schools in like china originally and then like denmark and stuff well with children going back to school and it's they're not allowed in the building till they've been tested and whatever but that's literally point a thermometer at them. <laughs> and obviously, if someone has an above average temperature, they take them to one side, probably do a proper temperature check, maybe one of those ones you put in the ear. Mm, probably an actual thermometer, yeah. And that then send them home, probably, if they've got a high temperature. Yeah, that would be my guess. Send them home and tell them to stay at home. Okay, well, let's talk about the, the, the main testing. Now, there's been lots and lots of discussion about testing and whether the government's got it right or they've got enough people to do it and all the rest of it. But now, after some weeks, there are test centres all over the country. Um, and there's at least two in Hertfordshire, one at um, Watford and one at Stevenage. I assume they're quite near the hospitals in both places. I'm not sure where they are exactly. Big car parks is basically the thing because they have to have them really spread out. I saw a thing and it was sort of like driving into a petrol station kind of thing and they stop you there. Yeah. So what happens is you you drive into one of these car parks, which is a test centre, and you have to drive up to a man who's all kitted out with um, visor and gloves and a spacesuit, basically, um, and then wind your window down and they hand you a swab. Is that right? That's what we call it, isn't it? A swab? Um, I saw a thing of it, and actually they got them to blow their nose first. They went, close your, here's a tissue, close your window, blow your nose, keep the tissue, and then I'll do it. Okay, and then they give you a swab, which is basically like a sort of um, 
what's it called? Cotton bud. A cotton be. cotton bud thing. It's a long cotton bud. And what do you do with that? Um, so scrape inside the mouth for well, it's often skin cells, but more than, you know after the saliva at this time. And so you have to sort of wipe it round inside your cheek for a. Uh, 30 seconds or, or longer. And then put it in a pot that you then hand back to them, obviously. And then you put it into a pot. Presumably you, you seal that, but you screw it, screw it up while they do for you. And that then is sent off to a laboratory. And there's obviously a laboratory test. So can you, do you know what they do in the laboratory? Well, I tried to do some research, but obviously this is, I'm on the government website about it. And it says that it tests for a um, polymerase chain which I know what it's a sort of chain of just um, molecules of like proteins. So it's a specific one that they've identified COVID has, obviously. But I can't find that much about actually what they do. But you said you saw a video of they put it in a centrifuge? Well, yeah, what I was interested in is how long it takes to actually do the test. And basically, they have to bring it into, obviously, a laboratory, which is set up specially for this. And people are all distanced and, and so on, obviously, wearing protective mm. gear. Um, and they, they take the um, swab and they put it into a centrifuge, which is a thing that spins it around very fast. And, which to, and the point of that is to separate all the things. So I said, my guess from what that would be, I have no idea if this is accurate, but I would say that it would the polymerase chain would presumably rise to the top so then they'd sort of pipette it out and put it on a swab and look at it under a microscope. Or possibly they have some machine that then they stick some, um, light, shine a light through it or something like that. <laughs> I think my point is that each individual one of these needs quite a bit of treatment in a laboratory. It says you can get the results in less than an hour to several days, presumably, depending on how many they've got going at the time. Well, if the laboratory happened to be right next door and they rush it in and someone does it, presumably it can be done quickly. But in the reality, people are having to wait a few days for the answer. Yeah, well, I presume hospital laboratories are also know how to test them. So if you're in the hospital and they need to test if you've got it, that can be done fairly quickly. But the people who are just going to get checked out would take a bit longer because they're not so urgent. Right, but also, as you remember, the, the government had a... a target of doing a hundred thousand a day and that's the sort of numbers they're doing so they've got to have a hundred thousand um, of these samples taken to a laboratory somewhere that's got to be then processed which takes perhaps 10 or 15 minutes for each one mm. and so it just adds up to an awful lot of people involved because yeah, there aren't that many laboratories like i know i was talking to my tutor from uni and she said that they had offered the university labs to be test to test some of the samples and they said no it's not at a certain level it needs to be like the top level of security because obviously if you have air filters or something you don't want the virus getting into those so it has to be top level ones yeah so obviously there weren't that many places where they could be running the tests and presumably that's all been set up as well it's all part of a big infrastructure that's needed to make this really work properly yeah it's probably only really the sort of places that normally do those sorts of tests like there's places that are still testing on smallpox and all those diseases that basically went extinct hundreds of years ago so it's probably mostly those ones have stopped doing their normal work. Right, so obviously the point about having a test is it tells you yes you have the virus or no you don't. And presumably if you are shown as positive then you're told to go home, self-isolate, quarantine yourself and all the rest of it. Yeah, but obviously by then you would probably have known if you got to the test I suppose. Well no, you're not supposed to test if you have symptoms because you're not supposed to leave i suppose <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, but the po- <laughs> point is, that if you're waiting yeah. two or three days, then I mean, you could perhaps think maybe I've got something I better self-isolate anyway. But otherwise, you could be wandering around for a few days before you get the result. Yeah, that's sort of the point of the mask, I suppose, because then if they are walking around with it and coughing, it's very unlikely to be able to cough on someone if you're wearing a mask. Right. Okay. But this is what the testing's about. And obviously then uh, the idea is that once you've found someone who maybe has got the virus, um, obviously to make sure that they're going to be okay, that what symptoms they're getting and so on, hope they don't need to be rushed to hospital. But at the same time, you want to keep them out of the way, back at home, so they're not spreading it to anybody else. And that's obviously what the testing and tracking is about. Yeah. And obviously, if they have gone out in the days before, check where did you go? Well, if you physically went to speak to someone or meet them in the park or whatever, like the things say you can do now, obviously you need to warn them that you now have been tested positive. Well, again, this is the tracking thing, which I believe they've recruited something like 25,000 people, which I have to say doesn't quite sound enough to me to track everybody in the country. No, that's, that's not a very large percentage of the population, is it? And what they'll be doing is they'll be they're in a call centre or maybe more than one call centre and they will then um, find obviously the person who has been tested positive. They will be phoning that person up and saying, can you tell me exactly where you went in the last five days, 10 days, whatever it is. And you have to remember that you went to that shop. You spoke to that person in the street. You walked along this road. You sat down on a bench in the park, maybe. So that's why benches are blocked off. <laughs> Yeah, but the point is that I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to be sort of jokey about this, but obviously remembering exactly what you've actually done over a period of the last few days is quite tricky. Not least because every day is the same these days, isn't it? Yeah, well, I suppose the point of people are still not going out that much. So if you've only gone out every other day and gone to one shop each time, you are going to remember, OK, well, I went to that shop and then two days earlier I went to that shop and two days earlier I went to that shop if you've been doing it that strictly, I suppose. <laughs> yes, and, and obviously um, that's also the sort of thing where then they've got to say, oh, you went to XYZ shop, so we need to find their number, phone them up and say who was on duty in the shop on that day and did they speak to this person, did they remember this person? And it's a very complicated business trying to track people like that. But it is really important to try and do this because then obviously each person you identify who may have had contact with the person you know has the virus is then told to isolate themselves as well. And this is the way they hope to get the virus really under complete control. So there'll be a point when people, you know, with read out the numbers and say nobody's got it anymore or only a handful of people and this is what they do in some countries but in other countries they do it with like police and army people doing it and they're a bit more strict i think than possibly we would want to be in this country yeah that's what loads of countries it's been like um i remember the stuff in spain it was generally they had not left the house in eight weeks like we've at least still go out for a walk and go to the shops every week or whatever they generally had not left the house in eight weeks that's right. I mean, we've called it lockdown. I mean, the government in the beginning didn't call it a lockdown because it isn't really, as you said. Um, I mean, obviously, it was telling people to stay at home and everyone's done that. But um, that didn't mean you couldn't go out at all. And as you say, in Spain in particular, they literally made you stay at home completely, go out nowhere. And yeah. um, so that was why I remember there was a news article of like, these children are going outside for the first time in eight weeks and then they had like this toddler and it was they'd learnt to walk in those eight weeks it was their first steps outside 
Goodness, yes. Okay, so I mean, obviously, um, we haven't had it quite as strict as that. Whether that's a good judgment or not, we can find out. Now, there is another test which is being talked about, which is called an antibody test. Can you tell me what that is? Well, originally they didn't do much of that because they weren't actually proving that um, coronavirus was leaving any antibodies. That when you've had it, you actually can develop antibodies against it because I think most coronaviruses don't. So they weren't sure about it, but they've got... Um, well, we so we saw I've seen a thing of someone doing it, and it was a drop of blood. You described it like a diabetes. We so it's like diabetes, one sort of prick of the finger and drop the blood on that, and then it was they pipetted something else because they'd used a home testing one. They pipetted something else on, and then had to leave it like ten minutes to see if it had, um, I think sort of the blood spread along, and then it, if it got to a certain line or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. Yes, I, mean, I think it's basically the, the important thing here is is two things. One is that it can be done by yourself, um, and so you can buy a kit and get it posted to you, um, and so you can do the test yourself and get the result pretty much straight away. Um, now, obviously, that's relying on people to be able to do things like that. I'm sure a lot of people um, probably aren't terribly keen on the idea of sort of getting some blood out of their finger or something. Yeah. <laughs> lots of people would be very squeamish about that right but that is name a few (laughs) it is something which um you know people who are particularly diabetics have to test themselves all the time and i remember someone a family i know where their daughter was about eight or nine years old and had to learn to do this herself and i was really impressed seeing her manage to do this um, because she had type 1 diabetes which is obviously the one you inherit um so it is something you do um i did see the other day that one of the um pharmacy chains is now actually offering it available online you can buy one of these testing kits for antibodies and i was amazed they're charging 79 pounds for it 79 pounds okay <laughs> that's quite expensive well but then i suppose no it's probably they want people to do them still at the moment though just to even see if they are accurate because I don't know how accurate they are. Now, and what happens is it tells you you've got some antibodies. I don't think it tells you, unless it maybe it's a slightly different colour or a deeper colour, to give you some indication of, of what degree of antibodies you may have. And antibodies, um, I'm going to ask Sarah to explain what the antibodies are. Um, well, antibodies, there's two different types, really. There's memory ones and the actual ones that fight the infections. So it would, I suppose it depends on which one they're testing for, which I wouldn't know. But you have the ones that actually fight the diseases, which, well, I suppose they're more—they're the ones that create the antigens that fight fight the actual disease. And then you have, and they only live for a few months. But then you have the other type that are memory ones that, on average, it's about ten years they can survive. So if it depends which one they're testing for, because obviously if someone tests, they've got a very small number. It might be they had it more than a month ago. Right, I mean, well, the thing about this is antibodies basically should show, firstly, you have had some sort of virus um, contamination, as it were. Um, you've had the virus inside your body in some ways, and your body started to fight it by producing the antibodies which would um, stop it coming into your body again. And this is one of the things which um, people didn't know for a long time, was whether if you've had coronavirus, whether you then it meant you were immune from getting it a second time. And I think the jury's still out on that, but obviously yeah. if, if you are getting some sort of um, antibodies, that does mean you, you are to some extent going to be protected. But, um, so at the very least it would be least, less severe the second time, 
but that could still mean you can still get it. Yeah, so this is the point that obviously if, if they start testing, antibody testing, and find out that lots and lots of people have antibodies, that's encouraging because it means that it's much less likely you'd be able to catch it or certainly catch it seriously. Um, but I think, again, that's unknown because there's no way of actually, I don't think they're counting who's doing the antibody um, things, especially if people are doing them at home. I think that's probably all the sort of things that we registered on that app. Like you put whether you've had a test, what test, what the result was, when you did it. That's the sort of thing that they're not tracking that much of at the moment. Well, now you've moved into my territory. <laughs> phone app, phone apps. Yes, okay, well, there's been long-running arguments about the phone app. The idea is that it's not, it's not really going to solve anything. It's going to be an extra tool. And basically, um, the idea is it uses Bluetooth, which is a short-range radio system, and it keeps track of everybody you've been near. Um, and near doesn't necessarily mean two metres or less than that. It means within vicinity of somebody. And if everybody then um, is wandering around with these phones and you know who you've been near, and obviously it wouldn't necessarily be someone you know. It may be someone you passed in the street or in, the shop. Or in a shop. Or, or on a train or something like this, a bus maybe. Um, and then if that person, uh, basically it does one of these tests we're talking about, finds out they have got the virus... Obviously within a few days of you meeting them, not if you met them six weeks ago. <laughs> well, the timing, the timing is one of those things. But basically, if basically somebody has um, found... They've had a test, it says positive, so they're self-isolating themselves at home. But then they press a button on this, this app and it says... I have the virus and then the system will basically send an alert out to everybody it knows you were nearby over the past two weeks or whatever and say you need to go and have a test now you may have it because you may have caught it from this person in theory you don't know who the person is there's no it's not got your details it's just a registration of somebody um, by a special unique number on the phone and six thousand nine hundred and eighty two b <laughs> why would there be letters in it <laughs> boys or girls obviously <laughs> okay so that's useful but by itself that isn't really going to be very helpful and of course the trouble is there's been lots of arguments about the actual technology to be used and amazingly i mean apple and google who are deadly rivals in most things actually sat down and worked together to develop something that works on all their phones um, and in this country, for some reason, that isn't the one that's being used. The government decided they could invent a better system themselves. The question is, did they have the meeting on FaceTime or Google Hangouts? <laughs> yes, I don't know. I think they may have actually met, met in place. Um, had a, they've probably got very, very big conference rooms in their headquarters. Yeah, possibly they did actually have a couple of them meet in person. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, we had a quick run through all this. What we wanted to just try and unpick a little bit is what testing is about, because I think it's become one of those things. Everyone's, oh, yeah, we need to do testing. But that doesn't really mean anything. It means several different things. And I think to me, that's quite confusing for me. And I think it's probably confusing for other people who know exactly what's going on. Um, but anyway, we hope that um, everyone out there, you're feeling well and you're you're still staying safe. But obviously, there is a point where people are going to be getting the virus who haven't had it in future. Hopefully by then we may also have a vaccine. What do you know about vaccines? Well, um, I saw a whole thing about the vaccine of this one specifically because they can't prove that you actually are immune once you've had it. They're trying instead of an inactive version of it, they've found a specific protein that's on barely anything 
but is on the specific COVID-19 and are making a vaccine against that protein instead of against the actual thing because obviously if you destroy the protein the vaccine can't survive the, the disease can't survive right i mean there's a race going on with um dozens of companies around well, the world that was obviously what one company were trying but as they as no one can prove that it did it the normal vaccine rules are going out the window because how do you make it with a version that you can't even prove actually will make any difference right um, I mean, I was going to say that there's a race going on with all the companies around the world and there's several groups which claim they've already got something which does seem to work. They're testing it. They test it on animals first. They're testing it on humans now in some cases. The Oxford one. Yeah. I think that's been a few weeks, so I think they might start getting the people back in. Yeah. Well, I think the Oxford one, I read the other day, they're going to get 30,000 people now to do tests with it. So they've obviously got to a sort of second or third stage of testing. That would be second. I think the original group were only given it about two weeks ago well obviously half of them were given it two weeks ago <laughs> yeah okay and then so that means it but of course the thing is that let's suppose it all is very successful um the government here has put some money into building a facility to make the vaccines for yeah. this country they've said that um the money they're putting in means everyone once it's proved its work everyone can get it within six months that's right i think they're going to make thirty thousand a year or something was the idea of doses um so that's going to be really that would be if that works properly that would be really successful but again the logistics of doing this you know you have to find everybody in the country and get them perhaps an appointment um, or some way of doing this i mean when you have the flu vaccine they give that to everyone over the age of 60 i think it is now and people with certain conditions that need it like asthma and stuff yeah but, but basically every doctor's surgery has a list of people who they say are oh, these ones qualified to have the flu vaccine. And then they invite hundreds of people to come along during a little window in the day. Or some surgeries do it with actually giving an appointment for everybody. But that means, you know, well, how many millions is it? The population of the country is 57 million, or is more than that? As adults, I think um, we don't know what... 70. With 70 million, including children, but I don't know how many children they're going to give this vaccine to. We probably are still going to try and give it to children. I think they might try and do it, sort of start with the oldest and high risk and work your way down. But there has still been like a 12-year-old who died of it. So I think they will still vaccinate children. Right. But there'll be a priority list of people, presumably like NHS staff, other care workers, then also... And um, all the high risk ones. So all the re- like all the ones who are over 70 and have a health condition. So all the ones who have been told, do not leave your house under any circumstances. Then get down to the sort of the over 70-year-olds and ones with conditions that makes them slightly more at risk and just work your way down i think with my sort of history as a civil servant you see i think about these things i say okay sarah you're in charge of 200 people i've just given you and they're going to sort out giving a vaccination to everybody in the country (laughs) yeah fair point gotta put them in well they've got the government list of who are the ones that were sent that letter saying don't come don't go leave your house self-isolate yourself so obviously they'd start with those and they have a register of who are healthcare workers and stuff, obviously. Yeah, or, or the NHS certainly do. I just, I just think you need a very big spreadsheet somehow. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously you'd have to sort them by which doctor's surgery or whatever they're from. Although I think you'd probably try and do it hospital staff, get vaccinated within the hospital they work in. So they go in for work and get vaccinated before they start the day or whatever. Yeah, well, as I say, I mean, I <laughs> but, but I mean, the point we're both making is obviously there's a 
it's a big process it's all very well to say hey we've got a vaccine and hey we're going to give it to everybody but actually managing to do that properly is quite tricky um, and I think that it realistically it means that we're going to be talking into next year before people are going to really be getting wound up to do this I know they said they might have a vaccine ready by September but that just means they've got the beginning of the six months to get it to everyone yeah. yeah yeah okay so i mean there is a lot of hope of this and obviously this all presumes it is possible to get a vaccine because i did uh, hear a talk where people saying oh well you know um the common cold is a form of coronavirus i think that's correct uh yeah because uh, corona literally means the shape of it which is the sort of well everyone's seen the image now the circular thing with sort of the arms coming off it that's everywhere <laughs> yeah, like an octopus with 400 legs yeah that sort of thing that's the common image everyone's seeing at the moment and corona's just the shape because it's like star shaped well corona means yeah. crown presumably doesn't it yeah that's that crown not star that's what i was trying to say <laughs> yes yes but i mean the thing about this is that um yeah that's an assumption but i mean the point is that the common cold is not something we have a vaccine for now is it they've never managed to develop one no. Well, maybe once they've done this one, then they can start working on that one with trying all the things they've done for this coronavirus. Well, you see, the thing is that um, big companies like Google and others have joined in. And of course, they've all been selling us this idea of artificial intelligence and how super clever it is. So I thought well, you just go up to your smart speaker and say, OK, Alexa, make me a vaccine for coronavirus. <laughs> and that would work. But apparently it's a bit more difficult than that. I don't think the Alexas are quite that smart yet anyway. They still just answer their programmed answers and if they don't have an answer, they go, here's what I found on the web. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I'm obviously being a bit jokey, but I mean, the thing is that we've been sold this idea that artificial intelligence is so brilliant and clever and it would be able to go through everything and basically come up with the answer. Yeah, well, they work on the artificial intelligence for the next pandemic then. Hopefully. I mean, but they will learn things from this. Anyway, look, it's been quite interesting. Now, have uh, procedures in place, I suppose, now. Yeah, I think we need to say, of course, we're not doctors and we're not medical and we're not giving you advice, but we were trying to peel away some of these sort of terminology about um, va uh, vaccinations, yes, but particularly testing. Um, and I'm sure we'll all learn even more about this in future and probably far more than we really want to know. But it is something that affects every single person in the country, and so we have to take it seriously. Yeah, I'm sure we'll end up doing a project on it next year at uni. They'll mention it because I've probably got some immunology module or something coming up. So I'm sure it'll be mentioned or become an entire topic. I'm sure it will. Anyway, OK, well, thanks, Sarah. Nice to talk to you about this and interesting to find out how much you know about all this scientific stuff. Well, I try. OK, thanks for that. Anyway, thank you for listening and um, do join us again for another podcast real soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Generation Gap Show here on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'll listen again to the show. You can subscribe from iTunes, Google Play and of course from Radio Verulam's own website, radioverulam.com.